This episode is brought to you by the generosity of our listeners. I want to say this. The greatest problem in the city is not racial. It's economic. That's Art Erickson, transformational leader, founder of Urban Ventures and Studio 180. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hi, this is Larry Gates. And Armin Asadi. And we're welcoming you to another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast, where we have a fantastic guest here today. He is a man who in the Minneapolis market is considered a local legend, and he has also been a mentor to Armin Asadi, my friend and co-host. That's right. Uh, I, I think local legend is probably a very, very good term to use to describe art. Uh, he's he's a guy that I've made very uncomfortable by saying this. There's a lot of people in this world I respect. Um, there's few people in this world that I admire, but there is a rare amount of people that I uh, revere. And Art Erickson is a person that I revere. This is a man that has one of the most credible voices in the world on the topic of community development and transformation. He is known for transforming the worst neighborhood in the United States, which was once called Murder Apolis due to the amount of murders we had. Um, he, uh, he's transformed that into one of the most philanthropic neighborhoods in the country now by living there for 50 years and doing exactly what was needed and never leaving that spot. He is a man who sat on panels with Dalai Lama and huge leaders in the country and so much more. Yeah, he is the founder of Urban Ventures and now the founder and director of Studio 180. And Armin, you and I have wanted to have him on our program for a long time. So without any further delay, welcome to the Bold Idea Podcast, Art Erickson. It's good to be here. Awesome. It really is. Thank so, you. so good to have you. And there's so many things for us to tease out of you. Uh, you have been doing quite a lot of bold idea kind of stuff. But before we get into some of the urban venture things that you that occupy your day-to-day and your heart that you're really passionate by, give us a little bit of the, your life story. How did you get to the point where you then created this thing called urban ventures? And we're going to talk about what that is uh, once you take us up to that point. First of all, I was born in Chicago. Uh-huh. Uh, my mom never graduated from high school. She was from Ottawa, Canada. She had rheumatic fever. My dad was a PhD from the University of Chicago in organic chemistry, and he had 34 patents. And so wow. it, it just it was interesting to see an egghead and a loving, tender, mercy <laughs> woman come together and have three of us kids, and uh-huh. then we adopted two others later. But uh, we lived, uh, I, I, I was raised down by 842 North Wells, in 1920, Clybourne, which is down by Caprini Green. And Caprini Green was the projects. Mm-hmm. And I know the projects well. I know redlining. I know all of the stories. And uh, I was raised down there. Um, I also was raised in a manufacturing plant that uh, took an invention to manufacturing. And I know that the most important person in a manufacturing company is the plant manager. Uh, And I know the difference between a board meeting, a staff meeting, and a production meeting. A production meeting is 10 o'clock every day Mm -hmm. for for five minutes, stand up Mm -hmm. in the the, uh, plant manager's office. You get the line supervisor, you get quality control, everybody. Are we ready for tomorrow? Good. 
Oh, we're not. Boom, 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 boom. And that's the way things get done. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know how things get done. Now, yeah. I'm just saying that because then I came up here to go to school at Bethel College uh-huh. in St. Paul. <clears throat> I made a commitment of my life to Christ when I was 11 years old at a camp, but it never grew. Mm. And so at 21, I had to do it again. Okay. Because I had an 11 year old faith for a 21 year old set of problems. <laughs> right. Ah, yeah. that's good. It doesn't carry you very well. Does it? And I just want to say this about my Catholic friend. Uh, Kevin McDonough, when he would visit his parishioners, he would say, I know you were baptized when you're an infant. What's your relationship with Jesus today? Mm-hmm. And I just want to say, he and I were not very far apart, are we? Yeah. I know you did this, but what about today? What's your relationship? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I got involved in Young Life, and Young Life helped me reach unreached kids. And uh, I spent a lot of time uh, working with kids out at the Colorado ranches. And I started a Young Life Club in Mound, Minnesota, where Campus Crusade started. And uh, I started the Edina Club, the Richfield Club. We had eight, eight schools that we, we had clubs in. But I could not get my kids to go into church mm. because I had a bunch of rounders. I had kids rounders? That were, well, the kids that, that weren't church kids. Okay. They're, they're, they're out there. And we were reaching those kinds of kids, the yeah. unreached. Yeah. And when you reach them, the church isn't ready for them. Okay. And lots of stories on that one. But I was frustrated. So I was looking for something like that. And and so a, a church in Minneapolis, Park Avenue Methodist, opened up a job for me that was 50% in the neighborhood and 50% in the church. Mm-hmm. Wow. Perfect, right? Now, in this neighborhood that I came into, in 1967... Martin Luther King was assassinated in 68. That's the, when, when I came in, it was 67. and 68, he was assassinated. And then everything was busting loose. I went back home to see the neighborhood burn. And it was busting loose here and over north. And, and we had tremendous problems because there was racial turmoil and all sorts of things going on. Yeah, not only here in Minneapolis, but really across the U.S. But my job was 50% in and 50% out, and I began to do that, and I brought kids into the church, and that caused problems in the church. Mm-hmm. What do you church. mean? What, what kind of problems? Well, the senior pastor, when they, they, they really came to a crux, the senior pastor said, uh, you know, we're in Walter Mondale, uh, uh, we're, we're, in, uh, um, uh, we're in liberal Minnesota. Mm. Uh, and, and we're liberal. I just don't want you to bring one of them home. Mm. Oh, oh. <laughs> that created a conundrum, didn't it? Well, it does. Yeah. In any kind of culture. Sure. So we had to do a lot of work in the city. And uh, one of the things I did is I went to the schools. I got to know the kids. One of the things in the school that I found out was there was no structured athletics in the elementary school and in the neighborhood. So we started an athletic club. We got it up to 150 kids. Um, and we were producing really good programs. And uh, that was a fantastic uh, venture. We also did a Soul Liberation Festival where I found out that the best speakers and the best music never got to the city. It only got to the suburban uh, churches that could afford it. So we put it out on the blacktop for eight nights. We had as many, the first night was 6,500, uh, 650, and the biggest we ever had was 6,500. And uh, this was uh, really... So, so I want to I dive a little deeper here, because I'm hearing all this stuff that you've done. Now, I mean, I know what you're doing now, but even back then as you're coloring in this story. But what was it, Art, 
that caused you to reach out to those that others weren't inclined to reach out for? What caused you to, to, to want to be out in the uncomfortable places for others and, and find that that's where you needed to serve? What, what was it that prompted you to do that? Well, I'm going to say this. I was raised at Moody Church in Chicago, which was uh, built in 1900 with 4,600 people uh, in, in the church, mm-hmm. big church, mm-hmm. very conservative. But it was at a time when the parachurch was being raised up by God yeah. because the church wasn't doing the job around the country. He raised up 120 parachurch organizations. Sure. Youth for Christ started at Moody Church. Right. Uh, we had all this. And so I began to have a desire to go out. I was involved in uh, in, in varsity. Um, all of the parachurches were out where people were, not where we are. Yes. And, and that's, a menta- that's a mentality. Mm-hmm. That's a mindset. Mm-hmm. And so Young Life trained me to do that, and I did it. And I did it for nine years. And then I came into park, and I did it in our urban neighborhood. And it's just getting outside the door of what you're doing and thinking transformational, not incremental. And as you talk to people today, or even back then, what, what are you finding are the reasons why we're most resistant to get outside the door and, and to get transformational like you're talking about? Uh, first of all, it's uncomfortable. Second of all, I have my rabbit tracks. Yeah, talk about that. What do you well, mean my that? rabbit tracks is I, I know where I live mm-hmm. and I know where I work mm-hmm. and I know how to get out to the mall mm-hmm. and I know how to get to the airport. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, if I golf, I go to the golf mm-hmm. and I, I, I know how to get to church and I have these little rabbit tracks. Mm-hmm. I go to them, okay? Mm-hmm. And we take the freeway downtown. And uh, that's a big one because there's this big wall that you go down. <laughs> yeah. And you don't know what's on the other side of the wall. But we go there and out, there and out. And we, we have our rabbit tracks. And yeah, I remember, it's, it's more like a rat maze than a rabbit track, isn't it? <laughs> and I don't know anything more than that. Uh-huh. That's I good just point. know what I'm comfortable with. Yeah. And I stay in my comfort zone. Yeah. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. So I've got to get out of that. Yeah. And then I've got to be able to relate to it. Yeah. When you've seen people break into that, break out of their comfort zone, what are some of the things that they have uh, maybe decided to do or how, what did they learn by doing that, that that you've seen? First of all, you have to learn how to talk to people. Yeah, great. And one of the first things that I, I, I always ask everybody, the basic question, where would you come from originally? Yeah. Well, you asked me that one. I first. asked you that first. That was the first question you asked Because me. that gets people talking about themselves. Yeah. Not about issues. Right. It gets them, to, and, and they don't have a lot of people that ask that. Yeah. Well, I laughed because I wasn't sure. No. <laughs> and I pursued it. And then I had some more questions that kept you, you going down your track. Exactly. So I get to know you. Right. The irony is, my wife says, nobody ever asks you anything. Yeah. They, 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 they've never been really yeah. been interested in. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever met Gordon McDonald. Very much so. Okay, so Gordon is a quintessential about you kind of guy. I went to pick him up at the airport. I had all these questions I was going to ask him, and he got me talking about my dad in like the third question, and, <laughs> and, and that was game over. I mean, it was like, <laughs> but you're right, Art. It, when we express interest in other people, it's transformational, not only for them, but for us. Right, and then I want to dig a little deeper, and you know, what makes them tick, and what, what are their gifts? And I have some things that I do that I, I do automatically to get them talking about themselves. Yeah. And then we can talk about a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Now we're, now we're building a dialogue yeah. instead of a monologue. Yeah. And dialogue is ping pong. 
monologue is a golf game where you just keep chasing the guy. Oh, good. Hitting the ball. Yeah. Good. That, and no wonder my golf game is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> what's funny is I've spent a lot of time with art and, and I, and I watch him have these conversations and it's true. No one asks. He asks all the questions, yeah. but no one asks. So art, what about you? Yeah. What, where did you, where, where are you original? Never happens. Yeah. I, I sit there and intent and I wait for it. Uh-huh. I wait for it. Uh-huh. doesn't happen. Yeah. It's crazy. It is. But not, not that it's a bad thing because art's getting what he wants, which is he wants to get to know them. Yeah. But it, 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 it never reciprocates. Yeah. It's a crazy thing. It is. So, so take us up to urban ventures now. Uh, what was your um, motivation for starting urban ventures and talk about what urban ventures is first. Well, I was at the church for 25 years. Mm-hmm. I was a youth director. Yep. And the youth director is just above the janitor. That's a long some, tenure for a youth director. Well, they're just above the janitor and sometimes co-equal. <laughs> but when you had a job description like mine, and we began to pull it off, and I had a 20-year relationship with a senior pastor mm-hmm. who believed in me, mm-hmm. and we met every Monday. We talked six times a day. Mm-hmm. We had a relationship that was really uh, a sound one. Special. Special. Yeah. Which is very important at the core. Yeah. Okay. So at the end of 25 years, it was time to leave. And so we moved six blocks away to um, where uh, Sharon Salesbelt and the, the mayor told us to buy this place. So we bought the building and uh, it was on crack alley. Now this is really, uh, this is serious crack alley. Okay. Okay. And in I, a, I, I must be behind the walls on the highway that It is. And Alexander Brothers Pornography Empire. They had 17 porn shops, five of them right on our block. Okay. Up on Lake Street. And uh, and, in the neighborhood, that caused Minneapolis to be called Murderapolis. Mm. And it was run by a guy by the name of John Turnipseed, who had the Rolling 30 Blood Street Gang. Mm. And John had 30 family members in prison for life, Mm. 550 kids with uh, misdemeanors and felonies mm. and uh, it's 10 years in prison himself and 40 drug houses mm. and a headquarters right up at the VFW hall. Mm. And he ran the neighborhood oh. and that caused Minneapolis to be murderapolis. Mm. And so this is our neighborhood now. Holy moly. Welcome home. <laughs> yes. Now what I had to do is I had to go from a residential area up to a commercial area, Lake street. Yeah. And so I had to walk Lake Street and I had to get to know Lake Street because we say, how do you see your neighborhood and how do you know your neighborhood? And then how do you show your neighborhood what it might be? Mm-hmm. And then how do you grow your neighborhood? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, how do you do it? Mm-hmm. So the, the, we, we started this nonprofit. It actually was a City Ventures. It was a nonprofit of Bill Norris out of Control Data. And he had been doing it for 20 years and we took it over and he got two board members for us and we took it over and did business as Urban Ventures. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we started to develop three things, kids, families, and jobs because we needed to put the economy back in because you see in our particular neighborhood in, in the 50s, the freeways came in. Mm-hmm. This is important. The freeways displaced powerless people. So it displaced poor people. Over in Rondo neighborhood, they still celebrate in July. You moved us, but we're still here. Because they did that in St. Paul and over north. And so it displaced poor people. Then people with skills and resources left the city. And then the primary economy left with them. 
So the whole suburban, um, the plight from urban to suburban. The exit, right? yeah. the flee. Yeah. But but you notice my language. Mm-hmm. I'm using a different language yes. than white flight and all yeah, of yeah, that. Yeah, 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 right. Mm-hmm. So the, the primary economy left and then the secondary economy came in. Okay. And the secondary economy is five things. I sell the drugs of the era. Okay, right mm-hmm. now we got a whole bunch of stuff going on. I sell myself. I sell somebody else. I steal street crime and fence. So like a lot of convenience stores are fences mm-hmm. in the neighborhood for stolen goods. Mm-hmm. Or I get subsidized. Mm. So if you really want to see the poor, go to the bank the first, second, and third of the month when they're cashing their checks. Mm-hmm. Just stand in line and watch because they're all there. They have to put three times the tellers on. So that's the secondary economy. And then we asked the question, we asked the question, how do you take this, this donut paradigm, uh, that's what we called it, the, the donut paradigm is the dough is on the outside oh. and the hole is in the middle. Oh, okay. But it's not a donut hole, it's a sinkhole. Yeah. It takes you down. Mm-hmm. And I would ask people out in the suburbs and rotaries and all the rest, if you don't help us solve this problem here, we're going to export it to you quicker than you know what to do because mm. we don't have home ownership. We move at the end of the month. Yeah. And they're going to go out to these big places that you have. Right. And they do. You see, and now they don't know what they're out there and they don't know what to do with them. Yeah. I mean, this is the big issues. Right. So we asked the question, how do we take the donut paradigm and make it an English muffin? (laughs) (laughs) Not by re-gentrifying and kicking those people out. Yeah. But by building their capacity to make this a livable, safe, sustainable neighborhood once again. Okay. Boy, those are important words. Yeah. So Urban Ventures is a nonprofit that's looking to create economic development in the in in the most vulnerable areas. Businesses of- back in that hire people give a living wage with benefits. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, I mean, and just j- just to highlight that for a second, um, between Art and Urban Ventures. Um, bringing back Alina and bringing Wells Fargo into their community, they brought nearly half a billion dollars worth of development into their economy. With the B, half a billion. Mm-hmm. And just two companies, and that's two of many. So just to highlight one <laughs> small accomplishment, that I mean, bringing a half a billion dollars worth of economic development into a single neighborhood, that's, that's pretty tremendous. Yeah. So what else have you accomplished through Urban Ventures for the people who don't know you? Because you're a legend here in Minnesota. A lot of people know you are. But for people who are listening in London or anywhere else in the United States that don't know you, can you highlight a few more things that Urban Ventures has been able to accomplish? Well, I want to I say this, that, that I started work with CCDA, Christian Community Development Association. I was on their first board. And, and I also help form leadership foundations that seize the city. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you have community development work and then you have people that see the whole city because if you're going to work here down, I'm going to say down here, you've got to zoom up to here and see the bigger picture because we're part of a bigger picture. And so we've got to help people see things differently than what they see Mm. because most people again are incremental and that transformational. What's the difference? Uh, incremental is I, 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 I just do my thing. 
let me give you an example of yeah. incremental. Most churches. Uh oh, here we go. Bring it. <laughs> I have to, because I've seen a lot of inner city churches. Yeah, sixty-seven of them sell out and move out mm. or die. Mm. And even the ones that do make it, I, I want to say this: that the greatest problem in the city is not racial; it's economic. Mm. The biggest barrier is not race, but economics. Because when our folks make it and move out, they tell their kids, "I don't want you to ever go back in there." You stay away from there. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's economic. And so how do we help people think through the economics and the racial and the other things, but they've got to see the big picture and the small picture. Zoom out, zoom in. Sure. But you're saying churches are incremental, but what makes them incremental is the fact that they come in and leave right away? or no, they, So the folks have left. Okay. But they come back into church. Yeah. So we do church. So most churches are incremental in that they're commuter churches. Yeah. There's only three pastors in the inner city that still live in the community. Mm. Okay? Yeah. We drive in, our folks drive in, we do church, and we drive out. Yeah. And we're not transforming our community. Does sure. that make sense? It does. There's a line that you use that I really love. I would love to have you break it down. I'll say it. Let's say it, please. Because there was a church out in the suburbs that wanted to move into the city and take a city church. Yeah. So I went out there and I talked to them and I said, I think this is terrific. I just want you to know that when you come in, I want half your staff to live in North Minneapolis. I want them to go to North High Lincoln Junior High, mm -hmm. <laughs> elementary school. <laughs> all of a sudden, the, all of a sudden, the cost just went way up. <laughs> okay. And I want you to be committed to this neighborhood mm -hmm. because you're going to cause a lot of trouble coming down Broadway on Sunday morning and Wednesday night, and you're going to have huge parking problems. You're going to, it's going to mm -hmm. be a problem. And I said, if you don't do this, you're going to be spiritual pimps. <laughs> it got very quiet, <laughs> but I said you're going to use the neighborhood and not put anything into it. Mm. You know, you leave at six in the morning like everybody else does, and mm. you come back in at six at night. Mm -hmm. And you use it. That's the, mm -hmm. you're pimping. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what happened? Uh, they didn't. They, they built a farther out one in the suburbs. They decided not to be pimps? Yes. At least they kept their integrity. But you know what? They could have made a difference. Yeah. They could have made a difference. I'll yeah. give you another story. And that is a church that was in South Minneapolis that moved out to Robbinsdale, and then decided that that wasn't where they'd be, so they're in North Minneapolis, right where that other church is going to be. Mm -hmm. And they are surviving. Mm -hmm. Shiloh Temple. Mm -hmm. They're doing a great job. Good. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. I mean, of course, we love our corporate sponsors, but I really love it when we have an episode that's sponsored by our listeners. Absolutely. Wholeheartedly agree with you. It's the best compliments we ever get is knowing that people are out there that want to invest in this to keep this going. And I think everybody knows, I hope by now that we are doing this as really as a passion project. Neither of us take any money from it. In fact, it costs us more yeah. than we are getting even in sponsorships to put this program out on the air. So every little bit helps. That's right. So if you want to help invest in this and keep this thing going, we'd love to see your support. Just go to boldideapodcast.com forward slash donate. And remember, every donation you make is a tax deductible contribution and comes from the bottom of our heart. A sincere thank you.
So, Art, let me. I want to transition the conversation here a bit, and I want to ask you the question that, and I know what path this is going to take us. But what, in your opinion, in the fifty years of being in the same neighborhood, developing one of the worst neighborhoods in the entire country, being called Murder Apples because there is more murders per capita there than anywhere else, you've turned it into one of the most philanthropic neighborhoods in the entire country. Um, And so you've you've done your deed in many ways possible, and. 50 years is a long time. So today, not 50 years ago, but today, what is our biggest challenge that we're facing today? The biggest challenge we're facing today is leadership that will uh, will get it and do it. We're, we're facing a leadership problem. Get it and do what? Uh, come in and, and, and learn what to do okay. and how to do it. You see, I, I've, I've got to have people We've got to be people that have a socio-spiritual theology. Sure. Not just spiritual. Yeah. Not just socio. Socio-spiritual. Then I've got to I, I, I've got to have some tools. I've got to be equipped to know how to do this. Sure. And then I have to be build capacity. I know I have to know how to build capacity uh, of my organization and everything. And then I have to be persistent and keep doing it. Yeah. And keep doing it. And I say that when you come into an urban neighborhood, it takes three years for you to figure out that you don't know what's going on. <laughs> so if you stay, you stay, yeah. um, it, 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 go 10 years. You still don't know what, what, how to figure it all out, but you got some things going that are going. Right. And you keep following on them. And then you build and build and build. It does take 25 years and it does take 50 years to really get it and do it. Let's rewind to the church that you said was going to come into the the inner city in the North Minneapolis. Uh, it seems like they had strong leadership. Yeah. So was the challenge not just leadership there? Was the challenge the conviction not to do a hit and run, but to fully, that's what I heard you say. If you're going to come in, great, but come in fully invested in this. Yeah. I just don't think they, they, they wanted to do what needed to be done. Yeah. So maybe that is a leadership problem. I think it's a leadership problem. Okay. You have to go to where Nehemiah had to leave his government spot and go and look at this city. Yeah. But see, to me, I, th- I kind of break that down as there's there's leadership and then there's resolve, you know, and maybe that's just the follow through uh, aspect of leadership. I mean, I think when I hear leadership, I think of skill set, you know, do, do I have the capability to lead? And, you know, clearly churches that are growing and showing sustainability in their suburban culture probably have that leadership skill set. But translating that into uh, an urban environment. Uh, probably needs not just that skill set, but also the conviction to stay. And it needs a broken heart. Oh, there you go. It needs a broken heart. Mm. The, 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 the second beatitude, attitude, yeah. is, is, to, is to mourn. And, and I, the things that break the heart of God break my heart. And I see what could be, and I see what is, and I see the difference. And I mourn that difference. Yeah. You see? Yeah. Now, the next one is to be meek which means to be moldable. So I'm the potter, you're the clay, and I have to remain clay, yeah. and I have to 
It's good. You know, keep being molded because this is a lesson. This is not. This is not going to. This is going against my culture. Yeah. What I've been raised with, my values. I have to learn new things. Yeah. Now, before we came on the air, you had told me about a Polish anthropologist that had this kind of lens that I thought was pretty interesting, and you applied it to the Super Bowl coming up. Yeah. So talk about that, because I think that that really applies to what we're talking about here. It was a powerful lesson for me to learn, because there was a Polish anthropologist, and she came out to the western United States, and she she said, oh, this is beautiful. I see landscape, I I see machinery, and I see people. And, And she said, it's just wonderful. She said, but the longer I've been here, I see that, People are landscape because they tell me don't don't go out there with them or be careful of going over there with them or don't ever go there. So there's landscape. So we build these little rivers and tributaries that separate us as people. Don't go out Stay with the on. tribes. Yeah. Don't go out with, with the trailer courts. Don't mm-hmm. go out to the you, you know the ghetto. Yeah. Uh, whatever you call it. Yeah. Um, many names, barrios, ghettos, projects, whatever they are, the donut holes. Yeah. Whatever they are, don't go there. Don't go there. It's not safe. Landscape. Yeah. Then she said, you know, people are machines. Mm. They're being used. Mm-hmm. They've been used. So, so we, we never talk to our machines. I, 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 I go to the store. I, I get my change. I, go, I have a waitress. I have a waiter. I have a bus driver. I have this, 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 and, and we're machines. Yeah, they're not people that we interact with. They're 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 providing a service to us that we're dispensing and. And they're, they're in they're my dispensing. neighborhood, and I never talk to them. Yeah, you see, yeah. I, I just. Oh, oh. And then she said, "There's people, and people are the ones that you allow in your house." Mm. And I'm just going to stop and ask, "How many people do you allow in your house?" You see, yeah, they're. There just aren't a lot of people we invite into our house. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Mm. So I just think that we're used to that, that we have our landscape. We, we know where not to go. We have our rabbit tracks. Mm. We have our machines. We use them. People. People. By the way, pastors can be machines. I'm just saying yeah. counselors, all sorts of people are machines. Totally. Sure. Okay. Um, and then I have my my people. Pastors can be landscapes too. Ooh, they sure can. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I have a lot of friends yeah. who are pastors and they say one of the problems they have is when somebody asks them what they do, they're hesitant to respond because it, all of a sudden it's created a landscape. That's right. Now they don't talk to them because no. like they don't want to cross no. any boundaries. You know. No. Now you asked about the Super Bowl. Yeah. I think this, we're, we're coming up to a party. We're, we're, we're getting ready for a huge party. Right. And I think it's interesting because we're, we're, we're doing highway maintenance work. We're doing bridge work. We're doing all sorts of stuff that's getting ready for the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. We're, we're preparing our city to be a city of the Super Bowl. And I was, I was at a game uh, last year, and I was down on the field. And um, I, 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 it was a very important time for me because I looked up at the crowd, and I saw... 63,000 people who had paid a lot of money for their seats. Mm-hmm. And they were all white. And I know they had driven in and driven out, and a lot of them had come in early because they had a little tailgate party. And, uh, and, and they, when the game was over, they all dro- drove out. And then as I walked around the, 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 uh, 
the, the, the areas where the, the stores were and the, and, and the shops were and the food were, and all, that was all minority. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. And then I saw the players out there getting the concussions, mm-hmm. uh, well paid to get mm-hmm. their concussions. Mm-hmm. And I said, isn't this interesting? The, mach- the machines, you mean, that were out on the, the field? Machines. <laughs> the machines. The yeah. machines. And the machines that are serving us. Yes. And then we drive in from our landscape yes. out there yes. to here, but yes. don't know anything about Minneapolis. Yeah. Don't know the father absent problems. Don't know the minority problems. Don't, don't want know, to know those don't things. Don't want to know those things. Right. We're here for entertainment. What's our high school graduation rate in here? We don't want to know no, that. No, I paid, I paid money for entertainment. That's what I'm here for. That's all I want. Yeah. So isn't that interesting? It is interesting. So you've got the sports industry, you've got the entertainment industry, you've got the corporate industry, you've got the, the, the government industry, you've got the sex industry, you've got all this coming together for a big 10-day party in Minneapolis called the Super Bowl. Mm. And I just have to leave it like that. Mm-hmm. And that gets repeated in any sporting venue. Exactly. It, you know, it's... It, and. and and even even church, as you described earlier, can can be that way. So, what do we do about it? Let's let's talk about some practical things that we could do. Maybe our listeners could um, you know think about some things, or Armin and I could do some things that are different in our lives to become more aware and maybe less less entrapped in our rabbit trail or rat maze or whatever you want to call it, and and become more engaged and transformed and how can we help transform our let me give one illustration from the leadership foundation in pretoria south africa because they're having the world cup down there and stefan de beer a leader down there believer four years before it happened said you are not going to come in and build your stadium next to our slums without putting millions of dollars of development into the slums and he negotiated that so that it changed four neighborhoods at the same time hmm. they were building. I'm just giving, this, yeah. this is a concrete thing. Yeah. Isn't that good? It's an idea. I, yeah. I, I, like, I like ideas. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's important that the CEOs uh, that you mentioned of the companies, Wells Fargo, Alina Health, uh, Best Buy, uh, they, they did major things in our neighborhood where the CEOs, the CEO of uh, Jim Campbell of Wells Fargo bought the old Honeywell campus and put $38 million into purchasing it and another $210 million into developing it. Mm. And, uh, and Alina Health uh, moved into the Sears building with 1,800 jobs and didn't go to St. Paul or, or Roseville because there was a mission in the neighborhood. Mm. And so they moved in with 1,800 jobs. And, and Best Buy came in and involved themselves with the Cristo Ray High School and the Colin Powell Youth Leadership Center, which we developed. But you were saying they moved in with 1,800 jobs, but those are 1,800 local jobs, right? It's not like 1,800 suburban jobs that right. got right. created and, there. And they're hiring from the neighborhood From now. the neighborhood, right. See, that's the key thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when they make a commitment like this to come into this neighborhood, then they make a commitment to hire from the neighborhood. Yeah. That's huge. Another illustration of this is uh, uh, Jay Bennett, uh, National Christian Foundation. We, we put on a Bob Buford seminar twice. And Bob Buford was the guy who said, I've been signif- successful, now I want to be significant because his son was killed at 26 years old. He called a timeout in his life. He calls it halftime. 
And, and Bob came and we brought a bunch of business people together. And I found that three business people gave up their corporate jobs and came to work for our nonprofit mm. because they wanted to be significant, mm-hmm. not just successful. Yeah. Mm. So I think there's that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think there's students that don't quite know they're going to go into the regular jobs without understanding that there's a call to the city mm. that they could have. It's going to take a different kind of commitment. It's going to take yeah. a different kind of training. It's going to take a different kind of life. Yeah. You're not going to be the upwardly mobile guy. Yeah. You're going to be the guy that gets stuck for 50 years in the same neighborhood. But you know what? You're going to be producing some stuff that's really great. And I just want to stop and say our greatest example is Jesus who lived in the same neighborhood and he was a carpenter and he's been in all those houses. Yeah. Oh, he, yeah. he put the roof up. He put this, he did right. this, he did this and he got to know people Yeah. and he transformed lives mm-hmm. because he transformed them right. and he did it in a constant way, never went more than 100 miles and stayed in his neighborhood. I just think that's the incarnation is very important for us to know that we should be incarnational also. Oh, that's good. And doing that everywhere we go. Art, how do our listeners find out more about Urban Ventures, more about you? And Studio 180, which is something we didn't talk about. Well, I was the founder of Urban Ventures, co-founder with Ralph Bruins. And uh, I, we have a new CEO, and we made the transition. You have to have an effective leadership transition. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I work for him. <laughs> okay. Awesome. But I train. And I find that uh, people come into Urban Ventures uh, at two levels. One, they want to know what's going on now. The other is, I don't want to know what's going on now. How did you start? Because that's where we are. Mm-hmm. You see? Right. Because that's overwhelming. Yeah. I just, I have to know down here. So so we, we help people down here. Okay. So... I say we've been changing people, changing places, 180 degrees for 50 years in the same neighborhood. And we invite you in and we will share our, um, our hindsights and our insights for your foresights. Hmm. Every neighborhood's different. Every leader's different. Here's what our, we are. Here's what, who I am. Who are you and what's your place? You figure it out. So we'll help. Does that make sense? And that's what Studio 180 does, that's right? That's Studio 180 does. And that's, what you're, that's your full-time thing that you're doing that's most of the time. full-time thing right now. And okay. We operate at many different levels. Okay. We had 27 mayors of cities of many, uh, around the country come in for a week. 45. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because nothing has prepared a mayor to run a city. Wow. I mean, they're politicians. Suppose that's right. And so they, they're coming in. And so Michael Nutter from Philadelphia brought his team in in 2008. He brought 10 people in for a day. He said, I've had 515 murders in my city. I, I've been here six months. What do I do? And so he came in to talk to our fathering center and John turned up seat and the rest. And it was, you know, so we have, we have mayors come in. We have yeah. business leaders come in. We have students come in. Okay. <laughs> And what is the best way, if if it is a mayor or if it is a person who's an aspiring nonprofit executive director, how, what's the best way to get them in contact with you? Should we just put a web, web link up on our notes or email address? What would work best? Art at urbanventures.org. .org, not .com. Art at urbanventures.org. 
dot org dot org that'll get you right to the man well art thank you so much for appearing on the podcast today this is amazing and i know we have so much more we could mine out of you but uh we'll probably have to call it quits and maybe find a way to get some more at another time this is great (laughs) good to be with you thank you thank you i appreciate you man well i mean i know (laughs) something about why you consider art uh such a rare um such a rare man, just a pleasant guy to be around, but just felt like even uh, sitting here in studio with him that uh, he's the kind of guy you could just tap into and just keep going. I mean, get fed for a long, long time with wisdom and insights (laughs) and probably learn stories about things that he's been involved in that, you know, very few people even know about. Yeah. He's, he's definitely a storyteller and I, I, I don't think anyone will fully understand the full impact of Art Erickson until you go to his Studio 180 office. Uh, I, I don't care if you're a CEO, I don't care if you're a community developer, a mayor, what, whatever. Everyone that cares about their community, and I know this sounds insane for me to say this, but everyone that wants to transform their city or develop their city or do any kind of community development has to go to Art's office and learn from him. Mm -hmm. I've never seen anything better. I've never heard better stories. I've never seen better results. It's amazing. Mm. What is it about his office that stands out? It's set up to tell the story. Everything he does is about telling stories. He understands that people don't connect to facts, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, you can give them facts all day long, but he's, he's, he's mastered the art of storytelling. So everything he does, he may talk about outcomes. He may talk about strategies. He may talk about what, what, whatever it is that helps you accomplish your goals, but he always does it in a way that he shares it in a story format. And his office is set up to show videos. There's paintings, pictures before and after pictures. There's book. I mean, his whole office is set up to train develop and lead leaders to becoming community transformational leaders rather mm-hmm. than just being developers. Like there, there, there's a difference. I know it doesn't seem like it's a difference and it's a Christianese term, but there really is a difference between community development projects I've seen and what art has done because it is truly transformational. Yeah. You know, that's really a key point. I mean, I think if anything, well, there's a few things that I took away from this interview and it's been several days since we recorded him and we're coming back now and debriefing. So some of the stuff, actually it's the lingering things that hit you Mm -hmm. that uh, make a big difference. One of the things that I think is kind of a meta takeaway for me is this idea of transformation, which you're just now talking about. And the idea that it's not transactional, we can't see people as transactions, Mm -hmm. but see our role as leaders to be transformational. So moving from being transactional to being transformational, I think is a hallmark of being a truly effective leader. And part of what I think God has called us to do as Christians is not to just exist in our culture, but to be salt and light. And those are transformational things. Those are transformational elements and and metaphors, if you will, that Jesus used for us to make a difference. And so that's, I think one of the big takeaways for me uh, out of this conversation with art. Yeah. I think you're spot on with that. There's, it's, it's hard not to sound like a groupie when I talk about art sometimes, you know, but um, I I will say in that I've been spending a lot of time with him lately, just um, you know, he's taken me by the hand, taking me to his meetings, taking me to, 
funding events. He's, he's doing it all. And one of the things I realize, um, and, and I'm just kind of, uh, following along with your idea of it, it's not transactional. I, I, I told art, one of the hardest things about learning from you art is, is that everything that you do is based on relationships. Mm-hmm. Every outcome, every dollar, every strategy, every plan, everything that you do is enveloped by relationships. It is the currency exchange of everything that you do. And it's one of the hardest things that I, I, I've been trying to process from learning from art is how, how do I replicate your process of relationship building? Like the rest of it, I get the strategizing, the execution, the people, the mobilizing, I get that. And I can conceptualize that. But one of the hardest things to learn from art, because it's just in his DNA, it's in his heart. It's the way that God has wired him. It's his relationships. Everything he does is based on relationships. You're so true. I mean, if, if transformational were the one kind of meta lesson I took away, the relationship piece of it is the other. And when he was talking in studio, I couldn't help but think about what Mike Mason wrote in his book, because I think it's just like right spot on to what Art Erickson was talking about. And, and I want to just quote this because this is so good. Uh, Mike Mason wrote the range and depth of your friendships. Now get this as it relates to art, Mm -hmm. right? Art's Mm -hmm. life, the range and depth of your friendships accurately reflects your knowledge of the love of God. Paul prayed for the Ephesians that that they might grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. The best way to do this is to know and love a wide and varied group of people. Mm-hmm. God's love is wide because it embraces all humanity. It is long because it extends throughout entire lifetimes and on into eternity. And God's love is high because it comes from heaven and deep because it saves reaching to the very bottom of the hell in our hearts. Whew. And I just, when I was listening to art speak, those words from Mike Mason just felt like they were just incarnate in, in art that he has that kind of love for a variety and varied group of people. Yes. And those words from Ephesians, Paul's prayer and Mike Mason's turn on that in his, in that quote, just, I I felt like I was sitting next to a guy that understood that. Yes. He lives that. He lives that. Yeah. It's like whoever wrote that was writing about art. I think. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, when I was listening to art, I was like, that's kind of like a descriptor of that guy. Yeah. And, you know, I took note when Art said, you know, his strategy is to know, show, and grow. Remember that? He said that's Mm. kind of the transformational strategy. You get to know the people, and then you can show them, and then you can grow them. And I was thinking about that later, and it it occurred to me that for most of us, when we have a transactional mindset rather than a transformational mindset, that may be the transformational strategy. Transactional strategy is the exact opposite. You look at others and you say, how can I grow from them? What can I get from them? What can they, sh- they give me? Then I might show them something, you know, and then I, and then I might want to get to know them, but yep. getting to know somebody is the least or the lowest priority when it's transactional. If it's transformational, it's the top priority. Right. And that's the difference, right? Yes. If you know, whether you're having a transactional relationship with somebody or a transformational one with asking the question, how well do you know them? How well do you want to get to know them? And it's all back to that question that, you know, we talked about our, our ask the questions to try to get to know people because yes. he's a transformational leader. Yes. And if is. you only want to be a transactional leader, getting to know people is not what you, then that's not going to be a priority. <laughs> that's right. Benjamin Franklin once said, tell me and I forget, 
teach me and I remember, involve me and I learn. I think that's the motto that Art lives by. Mm -hmm. Because from the first time I met him, I had questions about learning how to fundraise or do whatever. And the first thing he did was said, hey, come with me. Yeah. Right. It wasn't, let me tell you, it wasn't, let me show you. It was, he grabbed me by the hand and he included me, he involved me and he welcomed me into the process. Yeah. You became one of the disciples. Yep. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. It it was an adopt, it was an adoption process without me knowing it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, I think if nothing else, uh, art has testimony that nothing meaningful happens outside of relationship. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and to have a truly transformational relationship means that, you know, you need to invo- engage that strategy, know, show and grow. That's right. What else did you pick up from our conversation? Oh man, it, it, it's hard for me to separate what uh, I spend every week with him. Right. So trying to separate what I get from him day in and day out and what I get from him from that interview, it, it's hard to separate sometimes, but I think if we could just end it on the takeaway of that relationships is the key to everything. I think that is one of the greatest lessons, if not the ultimate lesson that art tries to give to everyone and be a trusted relationship. Yeah. Well, that's good. So we, um, we know that there's more that we could probably share, but what we'd love to hear is what were your thoughts? What did you take away from our conversation with Art Erickson that might help you in pursuing your bold idea. Leave us a comment at boldideapodcast.com slash four nine since this is episode 49 and we'd love to hear from you there or on social media or call our show line at 612-568-IDEA 612-568-4332. Well, that's all the time that we have and this is Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Until next week, go be transformational. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.